welcome to a special edition of the Wednesday Night Sports Show. We're going to look back on a busy summer of cricket. Of course, the unusual circumstances of the, the bubbles required, the COVID situation in 2020, just a, a feat from uh, the ECB, I think, to get some cricket on. Um, and uh, who better to, to chat to about it than the former Durham all-rounder, Ash Thorpe, who joins us. How are you doing, Ash? I'm very well, mate. How are you? Not too well at all. Nice to have you with us again. And uh, yes, it's been a, a busy summer for England. Uh, it started all the way back with the West Indies series, uh, and, and that was some terrific cricket play from both sides. Uh, I suppose before we really talk about England, I, I think the country owes the West Indies and Pakistan quite a debt. Yeah, absolutely. For them to even contemplate touring uh, the UK, which has been pretty much COVID central, hasn't it? Um, amazing effort, especially the West Indies, um, who sacrificed quite a lot to to get the ball rolling, and then for Pakistan to follow that up has been superb and given us also much needed live sport. Absolutely right, and of course, uh, your fellow countrymen, the, the the Aussies are on their way over as we speak, I believe. Yeah, they um, they're in transit at the moment uh, due to play some white ball cricket, so they have some T20s and some one day internationals to kind of finish the summer off. Uh, in between that, England uh, have some T20s versus Pakistan. Absolutely. It all starts uh, as soon as Friday. It seems we've had yeah. we've had no respite, but we've had, uh, um, after the long lockdown, uh, I think we're all in, uh, enjoying having live sport uh, back and uh, enjoying the, the, the quality and the closeness of the, the contests as well, Ash. There's been some brilliant moments. There have been tight series all the way through. Um Particular highlights for you, Ash, uh, over this international summer? Um, I, I think the West Indies series in particular was brilliant with the West Indies getting up in that first test and, and thoroughly deserving that. And the way that England bounced back has been unbelievable. Um, and this, this test series as well, um, it's just been fascinating to watch how they've gone about their business um, with, without crowds, how they've got themselves up for it, you know, where, going back a long time ago knowing that you know you get to those last sessions of the day and sometimes you need the, the people around you to pick you up and the crowd you know especially the Barmy army uh, to get the players up but for England to to have a pretty successful summer is a testament to their, their will and desire to win yeah, indeed. I mean, that, that first test with Pakistan for me to knock off 277, um, yeah. not many people would have made England favourites. I, I feel like England have, have possibly turned a little bit of a corner there. As you say, I mean, it's all right to have home advantage and people roaring you on with the full houses against the Aussies yeah. last year, Ben Stokes' heroics, but we, yeah. we had no crowd there. You had to lift themselves. I just thought that was a, that was an incredible display from uh, from Butler and Wokes. Uh, I I didn't think it was going to happen at 120 for five, but it it was just incredible, wasn't it? For England in the end to get uh, get home pretty comfortably was a, a remarkable effort, and I think probably my player of the summer would be Chris Wokes. I don't think he was somebody that would be uh, top of anybody's list at the start of the summer, and he was in and out of the team to start with, but. Uh, G's made a difference every time with the bat and all that he's, uh, that he's had the chance. Yeah, I, I think Chris Walks might might win my award for most underrated member of the squad. We're all raving about Joss Butler ending up being the top run scorer in the series when there's been question marks over him all the way through the summer and probably will continue uh, with his, his keeping. 
But um, you, you've also got you know Jimmy Anderson making 600 Test wickets, uh, Stuart Broad with the, the incredible performances he's put in. I think he's averaging 13 with the ball after being left out that first Test match of the summer all that time ago against the West Indies. Um, Zach Crawley, of course, with his double century, incredible. Um, but but Chris Brooks has almost passed under the under the radar a little bit. Ash. You obviously got those two champions in Broad and Anderson to lead the attack, but behind that you've got. You've got Wokes who's forced his way in just through weight of performances. Then you've got you've got Wood, you've got Sam Curran, uh, you've got the likes of Ollie Robinson, Overton behind them. Um, and you see that Zach Crawley in and out of the side has really finished the summer with a bang with his uh, double hundred. So exciting times for English cricket in the in the red ball, and we'll see if there's any hangover with regards to why. Yeah, and and of course, uh, you mentioned the white ball there. Of course, we're going straight into a into a triangular series now, and uh, England, of course, not wanting to to mix the the, the test players and the one day players, mainly because of the COVID bubbles, etc. It does at least create an opportunity for some for some young players, particularly young bowlers. Ash. Uh, yeah, and you would expect that all the the test cricketers will will get a rest now for the next kind of at least a week. But yeah, there's that next battery that's coming through, and you, you should see Mark Wood probably spearheading that attack. So it's exciting times. Um, Ireland obviously gave them a real test in the, in the previous series and, and got the win there towards the end. So it's how that young attack goes against a pretty experienced Pakistan limited overside, and Australia have brought a pretty strong squad over as well. Yeah, I was going to say there's some really good, uh, highly rated players, particularly in that Pakistan line. And Babar Azam will be taking the, the the captain's role for that. I mean, he he's an exciting talent, isn't he, with the bat? Yeah, he's a genius. He's one of the. I think you could probably you talk about the big five on the game reserve, but I think he, he he's up there with the batters, you know, with the likes of Smith and Coley and Root and Williamson. I think he's right up there with the very best. Uh, his cover drive is absolutely gorgeous and he's very pleasing on the eye and probably hasn't scored the runs that he wanted to in this test series as well, so might have a point to prove. So Ash, just evaluate each member of that England squad, starting with the opening batsman. Um, I, th- I think England has kind of settled really on, on that combination of Sibley and Burns, although you know England still, most of the summer, have, have been two or three down early, so... You know, I think the longer that they can give them to bed in, the better. Um, I think Sibley will probably suit the quicker bowlers and the bouncier pitchers of Perth and, and the likes in Australia. I'm not so sure of Burns. I think he's, uh, you know, he started off well and he got that excellent 100 in the Ashes last year, but he's just been found wanting a little bit outside his off stump and over this summer. So it be interesting to see how he bounces back and if he adjusts his uh, unusual technique. Um but yeah, that combination I can see probably staying for a while for England. The good thing is, with both of them, they like scoring big runs, so they're both really comfortable in batting for long periods of time, and England just need to see that on a more consistent basis. England are settled, aren't they, really, at the top there, and that helps with success, you know, familiarity, knowing your role in the team, um, not necessarily looking over your shoulder, thinking that if I don't score any runs today, then this might be my last inning, so... I think that's something that will contribute to success for England for for the immediate future. And of course, after that huge, huge 267, Zach Crawley looks a fixture at number three. I think he's he's been consistent without necessarily getting that big score to kick, kind of kick on. And then in this last Test match, boy, did he put that to bed. I think he'd scored three or four fifties in a row. 
um, in test matches and kind of really looked the business and then all of a sudden that innings is just, you know, remarkable. I think him and Rob Key from Kent, both Englishmen, to, uh, have their first centuries turn into double centuries as well. So good signs there for him. I think he's got a good temperament and he's, I like his technique. And what I really enjoyed was his intent to score, especially when England are in trouble early doors. He still comes out and looks to get the scoreboard moving and put the pressure back onto the bowling side. Yeah, he hits the ball at all parts. He's strong off uh, particularly the front foot, but looks pretty comfortable on the back foot as well. Seemed to pick up the length really quickly. Um, and I think, importantly, he just seems to be in form at the right time when he's got his opportunity um, and has made big runs. And again, another player that cemented his, his place in the future. And we have the captain, Joe Root, and he's been a while since he's made a big score. Yeah, he just, he, I think his leadership is really good, and I think England are more settled under him now. He's, he's done it for quite some time. Uh, I think he's probably struggled for his own form. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, but he's a class act, and I think there's, there's big runs around the corner for him. I, th- I think he's only ever an innings away from, from being in that purple patch of form, and there's not many better players to watch than him when he's going. He's, he's very elegant and, and, a, and just a, a nice, nice player to watch. I think he's got the dressing room right behind him. I think that that is one of the most important things. What I think would really help him is if he, he had a spinner to nail down, you know, that role in the side. So that's been shared around over the last couple of years since Graham Swan kind of departed. And you've, you've gone through various options there with Don Best kind of holding that spot at the moment. But if you look at the, the wickets taken by English spinners recently, it hasn't been, you know, a great influence. And I think when Joe Root can trust his spinner to come on and contain and to take wickets, and I think England will go to the next level. But I think that's probably the only missing ingredient in England cricket right now. Ben Stokes, it speaks volumes. He missed those last couple of tests at the end of the Pakistan series. However, he was still the second highest run scorer for England, I believe. Yeah, the man's a machine. You know, everybody talks about him being this kind of freak, but there's not many people that, that work harder at their game than Ben. Um, we all know that the lows that Ben went through and I think that was probably the kick up the backside that he needed to to really kick his game onto the next level and realise that he, he does have that special talent but that he needs to work extra hard to, to bring that out at those crucial moments and you know 2019 was definitely the year of Ben Stokes um, and he'll play for England as long as he wants to and like you said at the moment our thoughts go out to his family and and then we come to Ollie Pope, who's had a little bit of a mixed time. Yeah, he's an interesting one, isn't he? He's the, probably the one that's missed out this summer. Um, hasn't really got the big scores, but maybe the one under pressure with the emergence of Zach Crawley. Uh, if Ben comes back to, into the team to bat at five, and then England seem to have found that formula where if Butler bats six, they can play the extra bowler. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that works out in the future. But yeah, Ollie Pope... Has, has kind of burst under the scene, hasn't he, the last 12 months. But, um, worrying knees hurt his shoulder again in that last test match, so it'll be interesting to see how he pulls up also. Josh Butler, what a superb summer it's been for him, but still some question marks over his wicket-keeping. England are desperate for Butler to do well, aren't they? They see him kind of in that Adam Gilchrist role that every country's still looking for. Um, he, he's a phenomenal batsman, isn't he? And, and he seems to have worked out his Red Bull game, so he's been able to concentrate for six tests in a row. I'm just playing red ball cricket, no white ball anywhere to be seen. So, you know, good on him. As as for his wicket-keeping, I think it was pretty ordinary in this series. Um, he seemed to cop the wobbling ball, which and our listeners might not be familiar with what that is, but is where 
the seam kind of does funny things after the ball's pitched and it makes it very difficult for a wicketkeeper and and you could often see him rustling the ball into his gloves and, and just laughing. I think there was a nick off Jimmy Anderson in the last test match there that I don't even think he got a hand on it, just went straight through and hit him in the legs. So I think he might be relieved that his, his batting's now doing the talking and he can w- keep working at his wicket-keeping and just be the that player that makes the difference. And we've talked about Chris Wokes, uh, who um, we'll obviously have a chat about in a moment, but uh, him and Butler getting England home in that first test match against Pakistan was crucial. I think he's a bowling all-rounder for sure. He's, he's more than capable with the bat. He's made a lot of w- runs for Warwickshire. Um, he seems to make runs when it matters as well, so he has that kind of big-game temperament. And Do you know what? I think he's a brilliant bowler as well. I love the way he just runs in. Um, he's probably put on a couple of yards of pace from where he was a few years ago. Uh, and I think he's, he's just a really, really good, solid cricketer and you know somebody that England can depend on most times. And I think he'll be trying to look to get more consistent performances with the bat. But uh, he is somebody that I just can't see them leaving out at the moment. Don Best, some question marks over him. He hasn't taken many wickets. He hasn't actually bowled too many overs. It's a, it's a tough one, isn't it? I'm not sure Best really knows what his role is in the team uh, at the moment. He seems to go through patches of bowling nicely, but he's he's leaked quite a lot of runs. And I think he's probably in the t- in the side to control one end and uh, rotate the fast bowlers around from the other end. Uh, but yeah, he's leaked quite a lot of runs and hasn't taken many wickets. He seems to be a player that England like. He contributes with the bat at times, and he, he's very good in the field. Um, and from the interviews that I've seen, I mean, he seems like quite a good bubbly character to have in your team. But yeah, I think his spot is really under pressure at the moment. Um, but I thought the way that the Pakistani batsmen in particular played him, they played him with absolute ease. Um especially the right-handers. Uh, he did have a little bit more success against the left-handers, which you would expect for an off-spinner. But I think if, if England are really looking at their team at the moment, I think the the one glaring uh, gap in their, in their team is that spinner. Joffrey Archer, he's divided a few people, of course, uh, capable of bowling at great pace, but uh, um, maybe not quite achieved what people expected him to achieve this summer. Yeah, it's, he's interesting, isn't he? You know, people, I think the way he comes across, can you can perceive him as lazy, but I'm, I'm sure that he's given everything that he's got there. It's just his personality and the way that he kind of, his natural body language doesn't look like he's potentially given the most effort. It's it's hard work running in and being a fast bowler, and he's probably played more Test cricket um, than first class games now. He, he wouldn't be far off, I would have thought. But you know, he's he's still working out what it means to be a Test match fast bowler, and I think England is still trying to figure out the best ways to use him. Whether they use him in those really short bursts and just get him to run in and bowl as fast as he can, um, or does he run in and just you know look to look to take wickets? So. He's he's still got to learn. Uh, he's only a young fella as well, and he's got plenty of cricket ahead of him. But he's he's really exciting. The, the disappointing thing for me, uh, I guess, from a Durham point of view, is that we didn't see, get to see much of Mark Wood. Um, and I'm sure he'll have a big influence in the white ball cricket for the rest of the summer. Mark Wood, uh, it could be a big winter for him with the white ball, and of course those away series in India and Sri Lanka. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I just think that England got their, their selections totally wrong in that first test. Um, the makeup of the side with Wood and Archer. Um, you've got two bowlers who are going to do a similar job. They're going to run in and try and bowl as quick as they can. Um, and that didn't quite pay off. And I think with Jimmy, um, as well, not probably, you know, just coming back from injury in a long layoff. 
it took him a, a quite a long time to hit his straps as well. So England's balancing the, their attack um, wasn't particularly great. I think Stokesy was, you know, potentially carrying an injury at that stage as well, which kind of progressed as on on. But yeah, I, I hope Mark has a great one day series. You know, he's he's been big part of England's white ball cricket as well over the last couple of years and. Again, one of those characters that I obviously love having around the squad. What can be said about James Anderson? 600 test wickets, an incredible achievement. Yeah, he's, he's just a genius with the ball, isn't he? I think um, his record in Australia isn't fantastic, which is probably something that he would love to finish on a high there. And if he can crack that, then I think he'd be really thrilled. But his, his absolute skill with the ball is second to none. Uh, you probably go back to somebody like a Malcolm Marshall before you could see somebody running in at at reasonable pace, swinging the ball both ways and with the control that they have. But uh, absolute genius. And the first first seamer to get the 600 Test wickets is a testament to his fitness over the years. The, the guy's a swing bowler and he goes away from home and he gets the Kookaburra ball um, in South Africa and Australia, which doesn't swing as much as the Dukes ball does in the UK. Um, but I mean, I think, you know, you talk about him, that he struggles overseas. I think he's, he's still averaging in the mid to low thirties in, in Australia, which is still extraordinary stuff for a swing bowler. So he, the, the guy's a genius. Um, and I think any team in the world would love to have him with the new ball. Stuart Broad, he's brought up his 500th test wicket. You wouldn't be surprised if he matched James Anderson with 600. And of course, it all stemmed from them leaving him out of that first test against the West Indies. Uh, superb, Stuart Broad. He's just one of those bowlers, isn't he, that just seems to get on a roll and has that magic spell in him. Uh, we saw it throughout various Ashes series. Um, and I mean, last year he, he had David Warner for breakfast, didn't he? Every time David Warner went out there, he was either LBW broad or nicked off to broad. Didn't have a clue. And then the spell, I'm not sure which year it was, but 2015 maybe he took that 8 for 15 at Trent Bridge. And I remember seeing him uh, at the Riverside where they, they played the test match up there, and that might have been 2013 maybe. And he was extraordinary. He was there. Uh, Australia looked like they were getting in a position to win that test match and he won the game for them in one spell. And to, yeah, again for another seamer, uh, to take 500 wickets, you know, it was an extraordinary effort. And he seems to be starting to enjoy batting again, which is interesting because he's obviously a guy who he used to make quite decent runs down the order for England and got smashed in the face by, uh, by an Indian pace bowler a couple of years ago and hasn't quite been the same since, but he's starting to make some runs again, so. All those contributions really do matter down the order. Sam Curran, uh, a tremendous record in home games, but hasn't really had that much of a chance this summer. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy, every time he comes in, he, he, he contributes, doesn't he? He makes wickets, he bowls left arm, so he's a little bit different. He's short and skiddy, and he's, uh, he's a great counter-attacker with the bat as well. He seems to make some important contributions lower down the order, and... Again, I guess a, a cricketer that is on the fringes waiting for his chance to break into that team, but he kind of, he's kind of one of those guys who's getting maybe one test match a summer and, and that's kind of it at the moment. He's not really in England's best side, but he's, uh, he's, he steps up when he's needed. Excellent, Ash, and we look forward to the tours of the subcontinent, hopefully. That's yet to be ratified, of course, by the ICC. It depends on how we're doing with COVID at the turn of the year. It'll be India and Sri Lanka. How do you think England will go? 
Yeah, um, moisture. There's there's not a lot of it in in India. Um, you might get some humid conditions, but yeah, the the pitches are very dry. It's very hot, um, very energy sapping conditions. Yeah, you're looking for guys who can get reverse swing, I guess, because the ball's not going to stay shiny for too long, especially if the spinners are going to bowl quite a lot. Somebody who can run in and bowl at good pace and attack the stumps. This is where somebody like Mark Wood kind of comes into his own, where he's he's quite a short guy uh, and skids the ball straight on. So I'm sure England will be looking to, to the likes of him over this winter. Uh, and no disrespect to Butler, but uh, Ben Folkes is by far the better wicketkeeper. Um, so it, it could be that, especially if Pope um, is injured, that they may be looked to, to go that way and Butler can bat and let folks do the wicket-keeping. And that might just let Butler have a little bit more licence as well. England will need to play well, so their their batters will need to come up against some, some good spinners that India have. Um, and the England pace guys will you know, come against pitches that, that aren't really conducive to pace bowling. But... Well, we touched on earlier that the the England spin options um, are interesting. It'd be see if they go with uh, Leach and Bess over there as well, or whether they you know try something totally different. Because yeah, I'm not convinced either of those have really stood up and grabbed their position at the moment. Oh, I think I think the batting lineup's pretty settled at the moment, isn't it? And you, you wouldn't want to change too much of that. You, you do have the option of Crawley, where you do have another option as well, is that Ben Folkes was absolutely superb out in Sri Lanka, and I think he ended up that too as the, the top scorer. Um, so there's lots of options there, and I think England will, will need to rotate their fastballers, because um, it is hard hard work, it's hot, the wickets are flat and don't give much. But like I said, they're going to be relying on a couple of the spinners really standing up and grabbing their spots there. Um, it, it, and it's hard work bowling out there so rotating the, the quicker bowlers but yeah I don't mind the three spin option either if you look at some of the, the teams that they've played against and some of the pitches that they've played on in the past then you see that you know the home teams have gone down similar routes and sometimes open, even open the bowling with spinners you know Moeen Ali's another one there that I think could really go and do a job in the subcontinent um, and obviously offers quite a lot with the bat when he's in form as well I think he's a great cricketer and probably really the last England spinner to to really make match-winning contributions. I don't think you need to get too funky with it all, uh, Snaithy. I think you, you you really want to stick to your, your your winning formula. Like I said, England have kind of built a, a platform that people know their roles at the moment, and I don't think you really want to go too far away from that. Although you do have to adapt to the conditions. I totally agree with what you were saying there earlier. But I wouldn't go too far away from what they've got at the moment. It may be that they... You know, kind of tweak it around and, and play the extra spinner rather than anything else. But, you know, runs are crucial in the subcontinent. If you don't make big first innings runs, then you're in real trouble. And then after some tough summer action, including India, we've got a winter series with the old enemy, the Australians. Uh, well, how do you see that one going? Yeah, again, I don't think we'll see much different to what we've got at the moment, uh, to be honest with you. I think if you look at um, it, it'd be Broad and Archer and... Anderson, Mark Wood, I think will be there. Um, and again, I, th I think England will be really hoping that they, and this is crucial in Australia, that you have a good spin bowling option because it, again, it's hot conditions. You want to rotate your quick bowlers around, but you really need that spinner to make a contribution. Um, batting wise, I think that they're, they're pretty settled there with, with the way that they've lined up. 
you might have a bolter of, of somebody who comes out and make runs um, but I don't think you'll see anything too dissimilar to what we've seen over this summer. Each pitch in Australia has kind of its own characteristics. So at, at the Gabba in Brisbane, it's kind of it's a bit humid there, so the ball t- tends to swing a little bit, but it's good to bat on. It's quite bouncy. Um, and Australia have a phenomenal record at Brisbane where they will normally play the first test match. Um, then you, you go to either Perth or to Adelaide, where Perth, um, they'll probably play at the new new stadium at Optus um, rather than at the Wacker. But the pitch there has the same characteristics as the Wacker and it will bounce quite a lot and be fast. Adelaide, they'll probably play a day-night test match there, so that will be interesting as well and we'll, we'll tend to do a little bit. And then you've got Sydney, that turns, and Melbourne is probably the benign one that is flat and, and doesn't really do much. But um, you get the massive crowds there. So different conditions all over Australia, which I, I think is one of the wonderful things about it. Wherever you go, you have, you know, each each kind of ground has its own characteristics. We're going to switch sports now and chat a bit of football, particularly Sunderland AFC. And we've got SAFC superfan, Mr. John Stoker, on the line. How are you doing, John? Not so bad, thanks. Andrew, yourself? I'm very good, thank you. Um, of course, uh, counting down to the start of the 2020-21 season, uh, at the latest uh, at Sunderland AFC, of course, uh, pre-season uh, continues the pace, John. Yes, well, you know, we can all be full of enthusiasm, you know, wins and goals and stuff, so we're going to walk the league. <laughs> you heard it here first. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, of course, the, the, the big news for many fans, uh, the, the, the news that something's been... Um, Organised with the uh, with the TV companies that uh, fans will be able to uh, to watch every game this season. Uh, if you're a fan of an EFL club, of course, which is Sunderland are, um, you, you can catch every game. John, are you likely to be uh, investing? Hey, well, yes, it's going to be pretty good. Uh, you know, if we can get to games, we will, uh, and if we can't, at least we can get a, a stream and you know and see the matches. So, yeah, home and away, it would be good. Uh, yeah, to to see the action, you know, the full ninety minutes and the like. So uh, yeah, but bring it on. I think we still need some players to really get us all excited. Uh, you know, a, a freshen up of the squad. But as soon as the the season kicks off again, we'll all be uh, we'll all be going loopy and being highly optimistic. Uh, probably until the end of uh, August. Uh, well, until the end of September, when that initial enthusiasm. Uh, is maybe ebbing away. We'll have to see. <laughs> well, they have brought in some newcomers this week, John, but uh, uh, probably not household names. But uh, starting to fill a few gaps in that squad now. Yeah, exactly. I think it's you know it's fair to say they're not going to be household names now. We're you know we're League One. You know that I think some of them fans will you know, when these new signings come in, moan, 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 moan. And I think they're you know still expecting us to sign Messi, although you know he he has made himself available, so you know he he could well turn up. But until that happens, uh, we're going to have to kind of make do with, let's face it, you know bargain basement uh, buys, you know maybe some journeymen with a bit of experience. But hopefully we'll have uh, you know some of the, the the younger lads, the young Mackens who come through the ranks. Hopefully they'll be uh, uh, given a chance to shine. Absolutely. It all starts uh, uh, with that first game, 12th of September, Bristol Rovers coming to the Stadium of Light, John. Um, and one of the sides on on the way up, uh, it, it probably would be a, a tough game, I would imagine. I think they're all tough now. I think, 
you know, initially when we dropped down to League One, we all thought, oh, it'll be good fun this year. Uh, you know, we'll uh, whip everybody, go back up, and it'll it'll be great entertainment. Well, it's as we know, it's not quite worked out like that. And I think, you know, it's not patronising to you know any teams in League One. There will be some teams, particularly you know, if you turn up at the lights of the stadium, will light. You know, it'll be a big game for them, and they'll they'll want to put one over on us because. Uh, yeah, I see some of the bookies have got us, uh, you know, pretty much uh, favourites to go up, which I'm not quite sure on what basis that should be. But uh, I, th- I think a lot of teams do raise the game for when they play us. So we- we've got to be good enough this season to, uh, uh, you know, see off this threat and play some decent football. Yeah, decent win over Carlisle the other day, John. Um, reason for optimism? Yeah, well, Charlie White's going two goals. It's, it's got to be uh, room for optimism, really. Uh, you know, uh, for the previous friendly, Will Griggs, uh, you know, found the back of the net. I still think that he could come good. Again, I, I'm not quite sure on what basis I say that. Uh, but I think I'm not sure whether we play to his strengths. But one thing you can guarantee is if we do get rid of him, you know, whether it's a question of trying to save wages and, you know, we'll probably let him go at a cup price. You can guarantee if he leaves Sunderland, he will score goals. That's usually the Sunderland way. We, we make good managers and good players poor. Uh, so we've, you know, he's got a proven track record. He's a proven goal scorer. So hopefully, with a bit of confidence and you know, trying to play some decent football, he could finally come good. Yeah, and uh, Remy Matthews brought in. We talked about the goalkeeping position, John. The need to strengthen. Are you happy with that addition? Yeah, well, I think where well, we are, I think you know, he's uh, he's going to be about as good as we can get. I think at the moment, uh, I think uh, he's had some decent touches and some decent saves. He's, he's already managed to cop a clanger already, which is a bit of a worry. But you know, it wouldn't be a Sunderland goalkeeper without the potential for a clanger. So I think you know, he's just come in. He's got to get confidence, get some game time. You know, if he's going to be good backup to Birch, whether he's going to run in, you know, to to actually get the number one jersey, who knows? But I think we need. You know, we need a, a couple of players for each position in the squad to, you know, push these players along, uh, so that you know nobody's uh, a shoe in for you know a place in the starting eleven. You know, there's got to be competition for places, so we, we do need to, you know, get this squad a bit bigger. But it's you know we, we've got to do it craftily, haven't we? Because you know the, the wage cap now. Yeah, they've, they've maybe looked for for younger lads. Uh, Morgan Feeney, one of those that has come in as well. John, maybe not one that 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 people know too much about. No, that's true. Uh, you know, I don't know a whole lot about him. I've been reading up on him, but he's he's very well thought of, and that could be a very shrewd signing. I think uh, you know there are these players, you know, maybe been released from Premier League clubs or who aren't getting a game for Premier League clubs. Yes, we're in League One, but this could be a really really good. The starting point for them to get some, you know, proper competitive football in, you know, at a big club, despite it being in League One. So, I'm quite excited uh, by, uh, you know, by his signing. Is uh, you know, what the experts are saying, he could well be a very good signing, and it, you know, it, it's more likely to be a stepping stone for him. But if it works well for us and he puts uh, in some good performances, then uh, it's good news for us. Indeed, Aidan O'Brien, another one of those that has has come in and and, and probably a, a better known player. Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's, I think he's twenty six, twenty seven, so he's, he's still got his best days ahead of him. So you know, it's again the uh, fans of uh, you know some of his former clubs have uh, you know have liked him as you know a real he gets stuck in, which Sunderland fans like. Uh, 
And, you know, he can't be that poor if he's played so many games in the Championship. So, again, it's, uh, I think it would be fair to say his appearances so far, I, I don't think he's set the world on fire, but it's, it's very early days yet. They've got to play the way in, you know, that these new players in the squad have got to work out the, the strengths and weaknesses of their colleagues. So it's going to take time to bed in. But, you know, I think more often than not, pre-season friendlies, you know, Sunderland seem to have a bit of a knack of not being very good and we're not supposed to read too much into it. You know, this time around, we seem to be doing quite well and getting a few results. Again, I'm not going to read too much into it. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's when the season kicks off. That it's, it's when the, the real important stuff comes. So let's see where we're at after the first half dozen, you know, ten games. Yeah, Bailey Wright, another one that, that that's coming, John. Um, what what do we know about him? Yeah, I think he looks a class act. He's you know he's, he's obviously got a lot of experience in the championship. Uh, he looked very assured when he played for us. It was a shame he got injured, but he he did look as though he knew what he was doing. And uh, you know, a lot of the time, he uh, he looked better than a lot of the other players on the pitch. Uh, so I'm delighted that we've got him back. So just need to keep him fit. He could be a big big signing for us. Interesting to see the uh, the international squads uh, announced. Of course, we've got the UEFA Nations League coming up at the beginning of September, and that Northern Ireland squad with uh, quite a few North East lads in there. Uh, uh, very interesting to see how they go. Yeah, exactly. So you always want to see you know, players from your club, uh, you know, on international duty. Hopefully, not so you know they go and get injured. But uh, yeah, I think it's it's good. You know, and it makes the the rest of the players in the squad. Uh, I think it, it makes them want to up their game and the like. So uh, yeah, it's, it's it's all good, isn't it? As I say, that just the the uh, the worry of that is that they they do pick up an injury, uh, you know, on international duty when you know this season just started. So you'd hate any players to go off and uh, enjoy themselves, uh, you know, playing away or wherever, and then coming back with an injury. So it's kind of fingers crossed, really. Yeah, and, and to be fair, the more important game uh, is, of course, Sunderland against Hull uh, on uh, the 5th of September. So we'll, we'll have the uh, the traditional curtain raiser. It is the Caribou Cup game at the Stadium of Light. Yes, well, again, it's... Um, I'm not sure uh, anybody's getting really, really excited by it just yet, but as, I say, as soon as the season kicks off, you know, with like a Sunderland fans, you know, we, uh, we are maybe not bothered and a bit, you know... It's all a bit lacklustre, but as soon as the action does kick off, everybody's uh, you know sort of back into it, and it's just just been such a long time without any football. So you know the, the pre-season fixtures have been uh, quite good to keep an eye on and you know watch the stream and the like. So uh, you know league's obviously going to be most important this year. A cup run would be nice, but uh, I just wins breed confidence. So you know whether it's pre-season friendlies, Carabao Cup, or the very early days in the league, uh, the more wins we can get early on. You know, hopefully it puts us on a bit of a crest of a wave. Yeah, what's your gut instinct ahead of this season, John? How do you think they're going to fare? Uh, well, ridiculously, I'm usually a, a glass half full man, but I think I've chucked I've, I've it all away over the past season, so I'm pretty much it's, we're running on empty at the moment. But I think it all depends on the kind of new bodies that we can get in. I think we, we do need you know a few quality players to come in. I think we need a really good creative midfielder I mean they don't particularly grow on trees I think we could probably do with a you know a really good striker I wouldn't mind seeing Kim Pioca sign a new deal he's a bit of a headless chicken uh, but I quite like him because he doesn't know what he's doing half the time so the opposition defence definitely won't know what he's doing so he gives that kind of element of surprise and 
I think he I think he could be a good player. Uh, I'd imagine he'll probably go for Nout, which then means if we've got White uh, and Grig, you know, we haven't got a whole load of striking talent. You know, it's, I think it would be good to bring some of the youngsters through to at least blood them, but we could do with a, another striker. So I think if, if we can get you know, maybe another three, four, maybe even five players in, uh, you know, it'll give us a decent chance. We do have some good young players. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Jack Diamond playing. He's, you know, he did well at Harrogate, and I hope he comes in and gets a chance. I hope Embleton, you know, steers clear of uh, injury, and you know, he gets uh, you know a, a proper go. But we, you know, we we do have some, you know, the young players. I'm looking forward to seeing come in. So, yeah, you know, I think it the, the beginning of the season is crucial. I think if we can have a decent start then that'll kick us on nicely. But uh, I would have thought that, uh, you know, we've got to be aiming for playoffs. I know some people will be thinking, oh, we, we should be demanding uh, automatic promotion. Well, it doesn't quite work like that. And I think with the upheaval that we've had, you know, a lot of our better players, the higher earners have had to go. So it's it's going to be a struggle. So um, I'm trying to be positive. But uh, yeah, we'll go for playoffs and then go up via Wembley. <laughs> however it happens uh, and we were talking yeah. about the, the fixtures coming out and they did indeed on Friday and uh, um, you mentioned some of the key dates you always look at the first game as we said 12th of September Bristol Rovers at the Stadium of Light we have Northampton Town at the Stadium of Light on the final day of the 8th of May in between Boxing Day at home to Hull again I mean that, that's quite a that's quite an exciting Boxing Day fixture yeah, it's going to be about as big as it's going to get. I must confess that's usually one of the dates I look at because uh, hopefully the mother-in-law's not uh, listening this evening. But usually it means if Sunderland are at home, I get out of going to the in-laws for uh, Boxing Day dinner. Uh, so uh, usually when it's a home game, then we're off up to the Stadium of Light. But don't even know whether we're able to do that this year. But yes, you would expect that's going to be one of the bigger games. It's almost like a local derby, I guess. And Hollow a reasonably big side and George Honeyman will be coming back and uh, getting to the Stadium of Light. Um, so, yeah, that's, I think that's going to be about the biggest game that we're going to have this season. So, um, yeah, and then it's just a just a whole big mixed bag during the course of the season, isn't it? You know, the likes of Northampton, some of these other sides, you know, we can't take them for granted because they're all going to be tough. So, we're just, uh, as I say, I can't reiterate it more. We just need this good start to the season and hopefully... You know, that will, uh, not that, you know, too many fans will be allowed to be in the ground or whether there are any at all. Uh, you know, at least if we can, if we can breed some confidence, you know, in the stands and certainly on the pitch with the players, we, we just need this good start. Yeah, it's quite a tricky start, actually, for Sunderland. You've got to go to Oxford, who uh, play off finalists, of course, and that's the second game. Um, uh, Peterborough at home who had a good season themselves, and then you're away to Charlton, who just come down from the championship. It, it, it's not the uh, the easiest start to the campaign. No, which then puts you know more pressure on the opening day, really, doesn't it? You know, to get three points because. You know, it's, it just goes to show what a, a farcical situation we're in. You know, we're getting worried about Charlton, Oxford and Peterborough, but you know, that's, that's where we are now. You know, Peterborough, I think they were, as well as a few teams, were a bit diddled with the ridiculous fiasco to the ending of the season last time around. I, I actually thought Peterborough were going to be uh, going up. I thought their strike force were uh, uh, as good as any in the league. Uh, you know, they, they slipped up a couple of times to... You know, slip out of the you know the playoff reckoning, I guess, 
But uh, yeah, they'll be strong. Charlton, not sure what's going to happen with them because I think they're a club in crisis uh, as well. Um, and Oxford, yeah, they were a, a very like, they were a surprise package last season, but they played very well. Played very well at the Stadium of Light. So it is a really tricky start. But I think we've you know we've got to, we've got to think positive. We've got to you know stand firm and you know stick our chests out and you know go for it because you know we should be beating the likes of these teams, but. You know, nothing's a nothing's a given in League One now. Uh, you know, our our squad is uh, a lot lot weaker than it was a, a couple of seasons ago. So uh, yeah, it's going to be a tough start. And one last question, John. Uh, uh, typical strange COVID twenty twenty question. Have you registered your match day bubble as yet with the club? Yeah, well, yeah, well, we're looking at doing that at the moment. We're just trying to work out who's in the bubble and who's not. And yeah, so yeah, it's. Uh, I think the club really needs to come out with some more information as well um, as with anything it's you know it's difficult to get answers and they haven't been brilliant with the kind of communications as well so uh, uh, I'll update you next week <laughs> hey, and, and this is one that's, that's come out in the last few hours uh, John just a general football story uh, Sky Sports have dispensed with Matt Letizia Charlie Nicholas and Phil Thompson from those Soccer Saturday lineup. up uh, uh, a bit of a call there I don't know if Sky are feeling the pinch at all yeah, well, I, I don't know what's happening. I don't know whether they're looking at bringing new people in or not. I, I've, I've no idea, but I just saw a few bits on Twitter. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're, they're cool. I have heard that Paul, they've kept Paul Merson, I think. Mm. Uh, I mean, yeah, I quite like Matt Letizia. Phil Thompson, I can, I can do without him, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, there's, uh, obviously, uh, some big changes afoot, but it'd be interesting to see who, who they get in because uh, it's it's such a simple format for a show and who would have ever thought that it would have worked, but it does, doesn't it? And if you can't be at a game or, you know, you've uh, you've been banished somewhere to go shopping for the afternoon and you can manage to find a telly with that on, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's great entertainment to see the reactions, you know, during the course of the games just from some blokes watching a match, you know, so it is, it's, it's become a bit of a phenomenon, so it'll be interesting to see who uh, joins uh, Merson. Well, indeed, a few names thrown into the hat, uh, uh, Mika Richards, Alex Scott, uh, former uh, women's international thrown in there, of course, she's done a good job on, on match of the day and in the Champions League footage, so there's no, there's no, shortage, there's no shortage of options, uh, John. Yeah, there's some real talent, actually. Just before I came on, I saw Ian Wright had uh, been talking about something. I think there's been you know, people talking racism and all sorts of stuff, and I, I haven't seen any of that. But he, he mentioned Alex Scott and Micah Richards. Uh, I, I like them both. I think they're very good. Uh, I think Scotch is very good, very knowledgeable. It comes across well. I think Micah Richards knows his stuff, and I think he's very funny as well. So, I mean, you know, that they could be uh, two uh, new good additions. And, yeah, it's, it'd be nice to freshen up the panel. You know, that, I, I do like some of the, these old pros, but then, uh, you know, we could have some younger old pros coming on as well. So, you know, any line of business, you know, that there's, there's changes of foot all over the place. So, uh, you know, football shouldn't be any different, really, I guess. So it'll be interesting to see uh, who the drag in. Indeed it will. Uh, John, as always, uh, a pleasure speaking to you here on the Winter Night Sports Show. No problem, mate. That's John Stoker, and we'll be back with you next week. It's bye for now.